Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Was smoking. Yeah, well. <laughs> Cody, all good? I got my whiskey. I've got whiskey tonight. See, I'm not drinking a guava beer. You guys gave me such crap about my freaking guava beer last week. That's because you go from some tea with a honey stick to guava beer, and it's just hard to be taken seriously. I'm trying. I'm like I'm trying to elevate to to your stature and our guest stature, right? So now I'm drinking bourbon. I'm envious. The Kentuckian is not drinking bourbon. <laughs> well uh i have two of my favorite individuals obviously cody is one of my favorite individuals but i have to say that because i have to deal with him every day but brandon lily introduce yourself my friend yeah i'm brandon lily uh probably the claim to fame was i did some some heavy lifting as a power lifter and that segued into a relationship with sornex exercise equipment so been working with them for a few years part of my position there is is strength education the other half is just networking and who i know and the people that you know that use our products or potentially could use our products just to educate 
them on what we do, how we do it, and you know, try to deliver on every bit of that. And that's how we met, and that's how it led to all this. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And uh, what I love about Brandon, nobody, you know, it's a funny. It's a long story, but I will say that if you followed Brandon for any amount of time, you noticed that on his post. Okay, for some reason, the microphone glitched right at this point when Brandon was about to explain what the plus one meant. So just to make sure everyone got what we were trying to say, in that Brandon Lilly, when he posts something, he puts a plus one in most of his posts. And I asked him the question, why the plus one? And I got the full detailed backstory to why the plus one and it's an amazing piece of inspiration if you're looking for something like that the plus one is put a check mark in your w column uh, your win column put a plus one in that column day after day after day after day here's brandon explaining the plus one and apologies for the crappy wi-fi and the internet connection busting out on us so the plus one mentality, um, it, it really stems from probably the lowest point of my life. I was, I, you know, I mentioned that I'd done some powerlifting. I had done very well at that, was, uh, was highly ranked and ended up having a catastrophic bilateral knee injury. And the left knee required 19 surgeries. And what people don't realize, you know, even people in the know don't necessarily quantify or realize um, that every time that I was cut open, I was on my back for four weeks. So you do the math on 19 surgeries, you know, you're talking roughly 76 weeks of my life within a four year span was spent on my back, incapable of doing the, the one thing that I was really probably great at in my lifetime. And then also because of that level of, of passion for it and the level of competition and just the time that I spent doing it, it really did become my identity. And on we're, we're nearing the anniversary for five years, but April 12th of 2016, pretty much come to a, a conclusion that my life, at least, you know, on the track that it was going, was not worth living any longer. So I, uh, I kind of had a flirtation with a, with a pistol in my mouth, was able to, for whatever reason, just keep going back to a few random thoughts that, that just seemed to be my grip holds to hold on to and, and not really be able to go through with it. Um, and what I decided right there, like this, this moment of clarity, and it's, it's probably a little bit more poetic than it was in the moment now, but it was, if you've made a thousand bad choices, a thousand one will dig you out. So, you know, it's just the same. If you've taken a thousand steps in that direction, if you turn around, you'll be back at zero. So you need that plus one to get going the right way. And I thought the first major decision that I needed to do was to put the pistol down, unload that, clear my system. I'd taken some Percocet as well and uh, called my dad. So I was stacking plus ones already. You know, that was, that was two big ones right there. Cause my dad and I were kind of at odds with some things um, just at that time by, by my selfish doing, you know? So anyway, the idea of this plus one is, you know, I can tell you that I want a million dollars, but if I don't understand how to, earn, save, and value that first one, the million will never come. Um, whether that's a relationship or whatever, I don't give myself choices. I look at the goal and then I find the solution. It's like if you're on a diet and you go to a restaurant and you open that menu, there's hundreds and hundreds of choices most times. But if you tell the waiter or waitress what you want, 
then they cater to what you're going forward in your goal. So I truly believe we don't remain static. I truly feel that each individual has the opportunity with so many things. It's either you're going to take a step forward towards who you want to become and the goals and the dreams that you have, or you're going to do something that takes you further away from that. And the plus one mentality is just to eliminate the distractions and make those forward steps towards whatever it is you're doing. And, you know, June 1st of 2019, so you're talking about some three years and two months between the time of taking my pistol out of my mouth to the, to the day that I decided I wanted to be 75 years old because men in my family don't make it to 75. So, you know, it took three years to kind of get the, the, the train stopped and going in the right direction, but you know, the trains are rolling hot now. So it's one small decision at a time. No, I love it. I love the plus one mentality. And you told me that story. I remember I was driving in the rain coming back from Texas and, um, you know, that plus one mentality pertains to hunting and your outdoors and you getting into the outdoors and learning about oh. hunting all the time, right? It's everything. I mean, it's, you know, as I mentioned to you prior to, to recording in jujitsu, you know, I was saying there's my understanding of the technique and there's my ability to perform the technique and there was a gap. And then finding those plus one nuggets, you know, I, I went to New York and saw my friend Greg and it was just, you know, if I hadn't gone to New York, if I hadn't taken the time to invest in, in Greg as a friend, you know, like these, these small things and not really selfish intention, but just knowing that Greg had a lot of knowledge, knowing that Greg had a lot more value than I could tap into via phone call or via, you know, a, a podcast. I went up there and that's those things. It's like, I've always thought, you know, the big choice or the big chance was worth taking. You know, I've always kind of believed that about my life. And that's the way it is in, in hunting too. I mean, you know, I, I, I did everything wrong as a young hunter. You know, I kind of became the, the image of what you see, you know, rifle in your lap, driving down a country road, there's a deer, boom, tags filled. Um, and not that, I, not that I knock anybody that does that, but for me, it never felt wholesome. It never felt like it was really filling a void. And then after my injury, um, you know, I was looking, I was kind of picking and, and drawing at things that I could find inspiration from, dedicate myself to, and really try to become better at. And really the best way for a personality type like me is to go all out, go as, as deep water as I possibly can. You know, I shoot my bow every single day. Uh, I probably clean my bow just for the sake of holding it when I'm not shooting it. Uh, I tighten the screws. I make sure everything is perfect. I, I shoot different angles. I shoot different courses. I mean, it all adds up to this idea of really completing this plus one life for me, which so much of my life has been a taker. And it really does sound strange to talk about taking a life as not being taking. But for me, it taught me how much I actually wasted before. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're looking at a, at a white tailed deer that maybe you net, you know, 50 to 75 pounds of meat from that 50 pounds, when you give it out to your friends in one pound packages or two pound packages, you know, that deer is represented. You don't know the, the name of the cow or the lot of the cow or the, the story of the cow when you buy that beef. And it's just like, there's an endless supply of red in that freezer section. So for me to really actually understand the cycle of life, the feeling of responsibility to myself to do an ethical uh, harvesting of that animal. And then also to understand that in some way, shape or form, it all comes back around and, and goes full circle because 
the parts of me when I'm gone, you know, will will become bug food and that'll become something else and that'll become something else and something else. I mean, it, it really is a beautiful completion of the circle for me to come back to a point in my life where something that was somewhat tainted in my own vision now has been kind of corrected and, and hopefully trying to make right upon by doing things in a better way. And it, it all goes back to the same thing, man. Of, of I just want to be the best representation of whatever I'm doing. If that's hunting, I want to be the best ethical law abiding hunter that I can be. If I'm training jujitsu, I am a fool compared to some of these people who studied it their entire lifetime. So I just want to be a humble student of whatever I'm doing. And, and that really manifests itself, you know, literally as a plus one mentality, because if, right. if you never assume that you know it all, you're constantly digging for more. Well, let's dig a little bit. So we call this the roundup, right? And the roundup yep. is a, a collection of things that have happened in the outdoor space and the hunting space over the last week. And um, we sent you a bunch of articles that we've collected over the last week. And uh, Cody and I have quite the podcast last week, quite the roundup last week, uh, yep. discussing the whole, well, what do you want to start with, Cody? You want to just I mean, keep I going we where we st stopped last time? Yeah, absolutely. I think we get back to the to the Ranellis R three discussion um, because it hasn't stopped. Um, and I, I it's it's almost uh, if you want to talk about hunting pop culture, it's what's dominated hunting discussions um, completely for for the last several days on the internet. Um, do we recap it real quick? Matt Ranellis, Stephen Ranellis from Media's Brother, um, wrote a post or a, an op-ed piece that Meat Eater then published, and it was a uh, it was about his personal distrust, distrust, and distaste. I think both for the R three movement. Um, which again, the R3 movement is the movement to recruit new hunters, retain existing hunters, and I never remember the Reactivate. Reactivate, deactivated hunters. Um, and uh, wow. I mean, if nothing else, I'll reiterate that it was a ballsy move for Meat Eater to publish it. Um, I have not seen, I bet I've read, zero exaggeration, I bet I've read 25 pieces, written pieces in response. Mm -hmm. um, and I have not, I have found zero understanding, zero sympathy, and a lot of vitriol. Um, has anybody seen a supportive piece of Ranella's column i haven't seen I've, I've seen absolutely nothing um we, well let we, me let me play devil let me play devil's advocate with you here okay we like absolutely. that we like that well we well we got you well that's the thing about it is and i, and I want to make very very clear this is this is a tactic that i use on myself to to kind of check my critical thinking you know i've i had a professor one time named phil english and he was like, do you believe what you believe because you've bled for it or because mama told you, you know, and a lot of times um, I think that we marry ourselves to an idea based on a construct of other ideas that we hold to believe in. And we don't want to go counter those things. 
but sometimes we need to ask ourselves, just like I've told every time that I've, I've put up a post and recruit and, you know, searching for supporters, you know, it's, uh, did we just lose him? No, I'm here. I just, I got a, I got a notification that somebody was trying to sign into my account in, uh, Zhejiang, China. What? Yeah, no shit. That's how, story, that's, how, that's what happens that's to everyone deep, that gets on our podcast. Is that they get so this, that's how deep this R three runs. They're they're <laughs> tuning in in China, but uh, but anyhow, so I like to approach every every argument, you know, kind of like a single player chess. I try to play the weight of either side, and to kind of go through the cliff notes of of what I read of it and understand of it, I think we have to be very very careful. To, to misunderstand what he's saying exactly, I think. I think that there is a there is an understanding that possibly, yes, we do need the R3 system, but at the same time, it could be done better, like most things, right? And are we pushing people to the hunting world and just calling that good? Or are we educating young hunters? Are we educating people new to the fold? Or are we just showing hunting to be cool and trendy and hey, you can get some sponsors and free gears and free bows and this kind of stuff if you're willing to to take that ride into this to this journey. I think there's there's ethics on either side of that conversation. So for me, I you know I look at some of this stuff and it it doesn't go without saying that that hunting is big business and is big industry. You know, there's millions and billions of dollars that are that are tied up in this stuff. So at what point? does the guy that goes out and really wants to just, you know, supply food to the table for his family, doesn't care if it's a doe, doesn't care if it's a trophy buck, you know, then become the guy who's killing 30, 40 animals a year because that's the requirement of his sponsors to do so. You know what I mean? And I think what happens is a lot of hunters become bad hunters or poor hunters because they try to mimic what they see the most of, you know, it it is, cool to walk out of the woods with this big rack on your shoulders and this kind of stuff and it's glorified only if successful you know what i mean so my argument would be then that i wish it'll never happen but i do wish that more of the influencer type hunters would talk more about the peripheral good of hunting beyond just the harvest. Brandon, you, you know don't think I mean? that's happened already? You don't think that the, the big influences have shifted from what they were five years ago to where they are today? There's shift, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here trying to generalize so much to say that it is sweeping one way or the other, but I think when you look at a lot of this stuff, um, you know, I think we have to be very, very careful that the cart doesn't get in front of the horse. You know what I mean? I think there, there's certain keywords that I see keep popping up. There's certain phrases that we know get more likes and other things. And these people tend to just sound like recreations of others that are doing it. You know, when I hear, you know, when I talk to Jesse Phillips and I see some of the stuff he's written, there's nobody else out there writing like Jesse. You know, there's nobody out there writing like you or certain other people that are just speaking from the heart. And I think that's where the business creeps in. And I think it shows through. And I think people start to learn and mimic that, hey, if I say these things beyond blessed, 
you know, reverence and all these kind of things. Those are keywords, hot words that people just kind of navigate and say, oh, that's a good feeling. You know, I want to hear people like Lydia Smith who tell it seemingly from the heart. You know, there's more to, I've never just looked at her as a hunter. I've looked at her as an outdoors person, you know, like somebody who is all encompassing with it. And that doesn't make her more valuable or less valuable than someone that just hunts. But I feel like she's a steward of the outdoors, right? And I think that before these companies glamorize and and prop up some of these individuals, um, I think that there should be more of that. Like, I think there should be general stewardship for the outdoors. And again, that's just me and my Andy Griffiths kind of view on things. But I do think that I, I do think that there is some validity to what he is saying in the fact that I don't know that it, I would outright deny it, but I would also say we could do a hell of a lot better. I agree. I agree a hundred percent on that. In my mind, if I had to bullet point Matt Ranellis's original column, to be honest, I think I agree with both things he said. One of them I don't think should be a priority. One of them was what you said, that there's flaws in the system whether it's R3 or the hunting industry or social media and the outdoors, there's flaws. He was saying that it, it can be done better. There's a better way. Sure. He also, though, had the stones to outright say he gets frustrated about how many people there are in the woods at his spots. Right now, I said, I agree with that. I, I live, I said this last time. I live, I can literally throw a baseball into the San Isabel National Forest, 220,000 acres. Um, I still bump into people over there and I think, damn, what do I got to do to get away? But at the same time, that's this, I think that's the selfish part of it. That, and then I think he made a genuine mistake when he said we should drop these programs and go back to it just being your family and your inner circle that brings you into hunting. That's the part that really, really backfired on him, especially with the hunters of color who came out and said, look, we, we want to be a part of this, but our families don't. So are you saying we should stay out? Which is in no way what Renellis was saying. It was a totally unfair accusation in my opinion, but that's yeah. what bought him the most amount of flack was like it kind of came across as if your dad and grandpa don't hunt stay out of my woods kind of thing a little bit he he did kind of say those things yeah i mean the tone of it can be can be interpreted a, a multitude of different ways but i'll also say this too maybe that's throwing stones at at a little bit of the downfall of the structure of, of, of the United States of America as it is. Maybe we should put a little pressure on our dads, you know, to be involved with our kids a little bit more. And maybe that means, Hey, we would be more inclined to hunt and so on and so forth. So maybe it's a deeper problem than just the one aspect of, you know, doing it with your family. Maybe the problem is, is that we got to, too big for our britches so to say here in the united states that we forgot how important hunting was and maybe we should have done a better job there and that's that's a wholly different argument but i think i think there's a familial aspect that can be retained from that statement if you drop the thought of blood family okay i think if you take people who are 
brothers or brethren or kin, um, you know, through the woods. I think that's a lot more that, that speaks a lot more to me. I'll say to think about being able to spit like, like my guys out in Oklahoma, you know, Mike Hart and those guys every year that, that, that hunt in Oklahoma has a much different feel because the stories get a year older, the bonds get a little bit deeper and so on. And we talk about people that can come into the fold and so, so on and so forth. And I think if we can all just remember that, like, Hey, this is not just about going out to Oklahoma and getting the biggest deer or getting the biggest hog. It is about the stories and the time spent and the bond shared and to bring somebody into that fold. And maybe again, you know, maybe I'm romanticizing what I want to take from the ideas that he put forth, but I could definitely see that. But then again, that leaves people, like you said, people of color who don't have that strong heritage of that being available or somebody who's completely on their own. Maybe they grew up with very, very, you know, liberal non-hunting parents and they think I want to get into this for myself, but that's a pretty deep water to get into the Western hunting by yourself alone, you know? And it's like, then there's somebody's responsibility to help this person. That could be the ba- the foundation of that bond and that brotherhood and that family type stuff. And I think it should almost be treasured in such a way that we celebrate this information. Like it's just like at martial arts, you know, you can't, you can't master martial arts from a book. You can't master it from watching videos but it is also not open to everyone. You have to be a willing participant. You have to be someone who is excited and engaging and continues this journey. And it seems like the more willing you are to go into the journey, the more willing people are to help you. I could see that correlating very easily to hunting. And if you think about it from start to finish, you know, this is a big stretch, but hunting in and of itself is a martial art. There is a discipline to it. There is a meditation to it. There is an execution of skill to it. So, if we look at it from that approach, then maybe his statement makes a lot more sense. Non-blood family, martial art approach to the, to the art of hunting, not just the sport of hunting. So, yeah, Nella, I like that. So Steve put a, um, a response out last, uh, last Wednesday, the 31st, and it was a very good op-ed. Cody, you read it. I read it. Um, I think he covered all the bases. You know what I loved about the way that he started is he, he almost, he took the blame on to himself, right? He talked a little, a lot about I he even started. I recently caused a stir. He took the blame on himself, right? And he explained, he said, look, he's my brother. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. We disagree all the time. We are so passionate about these things. I'm passionate about exposing hunting to the world through social media. He's passionate about wildlife conservation and essentially keeping everything private, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was this, he was explaining this dichotomy between himself and his brother, almost as a dichotomy of the community that is out there to say, yeah, look, there's people that are like this and there's people that are like this and it's okay for you guys to disagree. It's okay for me and my brother to disagree, but there's certain things that, we messed up on, you know, that this wasn't a broad generalization. It may come across as a broad generalization. It wasn't. It was his opinion. I agree with some of his things, not all of them. Sure. Meat Eater does not agree yeah, I, I, with all of it kind of deal, right? Yeah. What did, Cody? I think first and foremost, not that 
He's going to watch our podcast. I think I owe Steve Ranella a, a slight apology because literally while we were taping the podcast, I got a text notification that Ren- that Steve had responded to Matt's op-ed. Then we all tried to scan it while at the same time continuing to do a podcast. I made some assumptions and I kind of, the stuff that I scanned looked like generic CY co- cover your ass kind of responses. Not a fair assessment of Ranella's of Steve's response at all. Um, it was sure. a really quality response. Um, I made some assumptions also, but I literally was trying to figure out why Meat Eater published this. Were they clickbaiting? Were they what were they doing? Right. Um, and some of that's fed by the whole green decoy churning group bullshit that floats around Meat Eater. But when you take Matt's op ed. And then Meat Eater follows it with Steve's response. Super props to those guys. That was exactly how that whole thing should have been handled, in my opinion. And I'm I'm a I'm a Steven Ranella fan. Um, you know, whatever. There's Instagram accounts that are gonna cut the audio clip of me saying that and 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 come after me for it. But I, I'm I'm a Steven Ranella fan. I think that dude has done things to raise the intellectual perceptions of hunters um, that very few other celebrities of that caliber have done. Um, And his response to the rebuttals to his brother's op-ed were spot on, um, where like Robbie said, he took some blame for some things. He admitted that they argue, I, I think that he said something to the effect of him and his brother have been in hellacious fights over this entire discussion. Yeah, we get into um, some nasty fights about the shit. Yeah, well, that, exactly. That's, that's good. That's good. Right. You know, I mean. Right. Excellent. I, I and kudos that he did, then went ahead and published it, right? That he published sure. something he disagreed with. But, but you know what? I mean, without, you know, without pandering to one side or the other, what I will say is I will applaud any front that is willing to post counter information to typically what they share, because I think that that gives, we can find ourselves very, very quickly in a vacuum, especially on social media with an algorithm tailoring you only to like-minded individuals. So I would, I would almost challenge if I could look him in the face and, and respectfully say, Mr. Ranella, Steve, I uh, really challenge you to continue putting out, challenging information, critical thought provoking information, because if you're only stuck in that vacuum of hunting is awesome, hunting is great, hunting is the best thing in the world and everybody should do it. You start to lose sight of what the the downfall could be if everybody picked up a rifle this season and was successful. You know what I mean? And I'm just, I'm speaking wide ranging bookends there, but I think we need more of that in this country. That's something that I talk about frequently on the podcast. And here's where I'll respect his brother for writing the article i openly admit in every single podcast that i'm in i haven't said it yet but i'm about to say it that i will say something that i disagree with once it leaves my mouth because i'm hearing it out loud for the first time you know and sometimes when you say things out loud you catch yourself and like man that does sound like a bonehead thing to say or like a piece of shit thing to say the challenge for writing something and publishing something and then having an audience like meat eater is it doesn't give that automatic chance to have a retort. Like if I say something that's just totally out of line, totally insensitive and totally wrong, and you call me on it, I could be like, well, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, you're right, man. I'm sorry that I shouldn't have approached it that way. And it's over. But in an article, it's got time to grow legs. 
it's got time to be chopped up and spliced up in print and then exacerbated upon and really devilized, if you want to call it that, without looking at the full structure of the, of the article and trying to understand it from somebody who loves the outdoors, what they're trying to say. You know what I mean? I look at it in some sense, again, this is a person's protest. You know what I mean? And, and it should be viewed for what it is. It's a person who is highly educated, who is highly immersed in the culture of, of hunting as an individual and then also peripheral to his brother's, you know, navigation of the industry. I think if we're talking about a family, maybe short of Jim Shockey, you know, and, and those types, Fred Bear types, I mean, you've got to throw Ranella in there as pretty much the, one of the faces on Mount Rushmore of voices for, you know, what I would like to say, ethical hunting, you know, and I would include his brother in that statement. So those type of people really need to keep challenging those fronts. Like, Steve, how far do you really believe this line and vice versa, you know, push each other to figure out where the lines are. And then in the process, guess what? Maybe they educate some of their viewers on different fronts. Maybe not every hunter believes exactly the, t the party line. And there, there are times where, Hey, you would shoot that bull. I'm not going to because of something they learned throughout the discourse. I think it's important. I think it's, I don't necessarily have to agree with it to say that I think it is important. I agree. I think, I think, I think we would agree at blood Oritans, right? You know, this better than anybody. I think we're, sure. we're okay with, with the not being the status quo and challenging the status quo. Well, if we, if we don't challenge hunters to do better and if we don't challenge ourselves to do better, that is where anti-hunting regulation will come in because it will be photograph after photograph or article after article of misuse of the land and the, the, the bastardization of, of hunting as a culture into something else. So we have to be the, the, you know, the sheepdogs of all of this. If you care about hunting, if you care about these animals, if you care about the environment, and if you care about your rights as an American, you better have your shit together yourself and walk that line and, and do so proudly. I mean, it's not such a bad thing to, to abide by the rules. You know, sometimes the animal can get away. Couldn't agree more. All right. We done with Ranella. <laughs> I think so. I think we covered it. It had to be covered. Okay. I'm going to choose the next topic. And I want to talk. I think, Cody, you put this link in here. The TikToker destroys myth that trophy hunting helps communities. One, yes, this guy, is, 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 he a, is he a hunter or is he against hunting? I went to his TikTok today. No, you didn't. I did. 100%. And I can tell you, it was some of the, it was about the funnest 45 minutes I had today. Um, you spent 45 minutes on it? Oh, I see he's got C-screw. Uh, that was an exaggeration for effect. But it really does seem like he takes the approach of, I'm a hunter. Maybe. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, but trophy hunting with it with a complete concentration on africa in these statements um is, he African? is all uh, um i don't know you would be asking me to judge an accent and you know that i'm still not sure i'm convinced that sometimes you have a new zealand accent so i don't know I, i'm not i'm not good at that game right um 
but he uh here's the here's the joke of the whole thing it's not him he regurgitated some headlines literally that's all he did you can read the article he literally made statements like trophy hunting is not good like that was his refutement refutement that a word it is now i don't think so refutal rebuttal that was his argument against trophy hunting was he just like regurgitated some headlines the joke of this thing is not him the joke of this thing is that a news source then printed that he had refuted the value i mean this would be very similar if some 11 year old got on their tiktok and said trophy hunting is bad and then for some reason, a worldwide news source picked that up with the headline, Tro- TikToker refutes the value of trophy hunting in the world. No, no. I mean, TikToker destroys myth. Destroys. That trophy hunting helps local communities. He didn't, right, he, he didn't do anything but just regurgitate headlines. That's all he did in his TikTok. But what you're, what you're reading in that headline, if you want to believe the narrative of you know, that there is a big brother at play. Um, they're empowering other TikTokers to take stands, to use their, to use their, their voice. And it, it seems like if you want to, you know, manipulate the future's outlook, you would mean that you would focus on a, a child-based app like TikTok that is really designed for what teens and young twenties and pretty, you know, people that are way more into the internet than I am. But nevertheless, I think it's like, it's one of those things. It's those subtle nudges. It's like, hey, if that TikToker can get recognition for sta- taking a stand and saying something, we don't become activists where it matters. We become activists through this medium that just gets attention and it go- goes away. I don't really give credence to much of those things. I mean, I, I just, I know they're real and I know they're tangible, but I don't think very many sensible people look at those things and say, ah, you know, this trumps uh, an article from the Smithsonian or NPR or something like that. You know what I mean? I just think that it's as nonsensical as TikToker. You know, as soon as I see that, I pretty much realize it's garbage no matter what. No, I'm a, I'm 100% with you, except the fact that that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's a, I don't think there's any legitimacy in him. It's sure. a worldwide news source adopting the headline, sure. TikToker destroys myth that trophy hunt. You know, that that's, that's the problem, right? It is. Yeah. He, I mean, it, that's the problem. I mean, if, if the New York Times comes out and says, person A destroys the myth of the value of trophy hunting, in that headline, it's destroyed. The value yeah. of trophy hunting is gone, right? And it's, it's, it's this news source giving that credit. And, and hopefully... A gigantic percentage of us realize that that's clickbait so that you go and so that their ads are presented to you while you're scanning through this thing. Um, but that's the that's what boggled my mind. Not that this that this kid did this, you know, sure, sure. but that another source latched on to it and said that he destroyed the myths of the value of tro- I'm, I keep screwing it up, but something no, paraphrasing. I think that's I think that's valid because I, I think that's a that's a very dangerous occurrence in our in our modern day and age and we're seeing it a lot. 
you know, like the misuse of words, defund the police doesn't actually mean defund. It just means reallocate. You know what I mean? But the average person that I talked to that was saying defund the police thought it meant take all the money away from the police. But the side that was trying to look at it from the actual, you know, inception of what would happen would be reallocation. And those are two vastly different things. If they said, you know, TikToker takes jab at the hunting industry, I don't think you or I or, or Robbie would be talking about it. But it is the nature of these, you know, hyperbolous words to get people just looking at things in a way of like everything has to be the most everything has to be to the extreme everything has to be at this you know we take it all to 11 kind of level you know and it's just a it's a problem within our culture and i think you're exactly right is that the extremism is where you're going to garner new extremists you know if, if you say that trophy hunting is destroyed well then you have people that you know possibly young, old, whoever can form their thought process to the idea that, you know, trophy hunting is ultimately destroyed. This guy, you know, he crushed it, whatever. And they adopt that side too, because, you know, if you, if you read any Jordan Peterson, people like to be winners. They don't want to, they don't want to root for the losing side. So it's a subtle, subtle way that people might just fall onto that train thinking, you know, we have to use the right language. We have to, it's important. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do one more hey, and talking about something real quick. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Finish up. Like this is my first experience actually meeting Brandon. I mean, his involvement with Blood Origins. But in his story today, he posted Coulter Wall singing, and then he just referenced Jordan Peterson. So pretty much, you can't screw it up. I'm a Giant fan, so I. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right stop stroking his ego stop stroking his ego. no i'm just saying I, i'm what i'm saying is prior to that i hadn't made a decision if i like him or not now he's one of my favorites thanks man okay you guys done kissing and cuddling <laughs> romancing so talking about uh language let's finish up with this one um did you know anything about snow leopards brandon lily i do know a thing or two about snow leopards what do you know about snow leopards I know they're extremely rare. I know they're extremely beautiful. I know that uh, they they made a cameo appearance on Tiger King. Uh, I've seen quite a few shots in the wild of them. I, I know that they're very, very, very elusive. Um, if to even see one is probably along the lines of seeing something like uh, 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 what's the thing that uh, don't say a tiger because there's lots of tigers no 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 no, no no it's a uh, Maybe it's a – was it a badger? No, it wasn't a badger. What is the really, really rare animal that Aaron Snyder – Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yeah, I, was new, I knew it was a Big Ten mascot. I couldn't remember which one it was. Right. <laughs> Wisconsin or – but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just extremely rare. So, a very, like, peripheral knowledge base around them, but I think they're beautiful. Uh, I love I love them. But the I was talking to a guy who's number two pound-for-pound uh, pound, uh, jiu-jitsu artist, and his name's Craig Jones. And he, he traditionally wears uh, leopard pants or leopard uh, spats. And anyhow, he was joking about making some snow leopard ones. And he was over in the Middle East or Tajikistan or somewhere and uh, and said, you know, we're going to get an actual snow leopard. Like, he's kind of a comedian. Dude, I thought people were going to cut his throat. Like, when he was joking about that, people would just lost their shit. So it's been a, it's been a hot topic issue this week because I spoke to him. 
So yeah. yeah, I know a little bit about snow leopards. Well, they're certainly making a, a comeback because their prey base is making a comeback and their prey base, you know, bark oars and Ural sheeps and all those kinds of things that live in those alpine environments are coming back because of hunting. Uh, sure. A lot of people know about that. But did you know that snow leopards are arrogant bastards? Wouldn't you be? I would. It was, a, a, you know, it was quite, you know, when they look as the, as these researchers from Carnegie Mellon university figured out, um, you know, they've got smallish heads, they've got large black spots. Uh, and so, you know, they look at themselves and honestly in the, in the article, it says, honestly, just look at a picture of one sometime you tell by their eyes, they think they're hot shit. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could probably say that. Little did people know we were going to bring the onion into the roundup. <laughs> oh, it was such a good article. Study finds snow leopards lead solitary lifestyle because they're arrogant bastards who think they're better than everyone else. Pretty darn funny. I love, I love the onion. I love that there's a group of people that sit around and blatantly make shit up to make me laugh. I think that's... Have the you seen the Babylon Bee? Oh, it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I get notifications regularly from Babylon B. I think those those are my favorite people on the internet right there is people that sit around and think, how can I make somebody laugh by making some shit up that's outrageous? And, and everybody's on the table. There is no holds barred. They go against everybody. Exactly. Especially <laughs> with Babylon. Babylon will take on anybody. Yeah, that's the only way that you can really win at comedy, though. You can't You can't hide away or play favorites. Well, I think that's it for the roundup today. Uh, Brandon Lilly, I know you've been patient with us in a vehicle whilst we're drinking bourbon. You're drinking 7-Up. Any last uh, words? No, I mean, I guess I would just say to anybody that's out there hunting, along with the plus one mindset, I don't want to preach to anybody. I just know that constant, like relentless self-assessment is the best way that I've found my, myself forward. And that it's really carried over into my hunting. It's why I hunt the way that I hunt now. Not, I don't view myself as better than or, or equal to or less than anyone. I just view it, this as my journey. But constantly take stock of who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, is this satisfying you or is this satisfying what others are satisfied by? Um, really take ownership of it and do the best you can, you know? Well said. Well said. Cody Highsmith, any last cuddles for Brandon? <laughs> You're a jackass, Robbie. No, I. Uh, it, it was a great. It was a great conversation. I like these roundups, and I like uh, bringing someone else in to help me deal with you. you. You really wanted to say, and I really like Brandon, but that's okay. You have to figure out what not to say. I do like Brandon. I, it, he put Coulter Wall singing a Chris Christopherson song in his story today. I don't care what else there is to know about the guy. Oh, come on, man. Did you say who is Chris Christopherson? Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that uh, for the next round. You might be deported. The, okay. only, the only thing I can say in fairness, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll say this in fairness. He would have to have come here and fully immersed himself in American culture in a way because, Robbie, how long have you been in the United States? Since 2003. Okay. So since 2003, I would say there has single-handedly been somewhat of a, a removal of that outlaw country. You know what uh, I mean? There's been, so, there's been, no, no. Listen, 
I know there's I'm no not, rejuvenation, but I'm saying he, on the mainstream. So if he came over there's here, two, there's been two Highwaymen albums released. Robbie, have you heard of Janis Joplin? I have heard of her name. I don't know if I've heard of any of her songs. Listen to any of her songs. Then, she, then he's not going to know Chris Christopherson. If oh he doesn't know Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, the greatest female rocker of all time, has no career that we've never heard of her if it's not for Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Well, I anyway, appreciate you uh, highly educating me. Maybe the next roundup you can educate me about real music. Free Britney. Later. Free Britney. <laughs> Free Britney. <laughs> Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.